This week on Intrigued, Full Effect. This was agony to Aileen's mother. She was terminally ill, you know, and this was probably speeding up her illness. It probably was speeding up her death because, you know, she actually passed and never knowing what happened to Aileen. Never knowing. So talking about this, it just dug into a wound that was so deep and so painful. I'm Shandrea Thomas, and welcome to Episode 7. In this podcast, I talk about curious cases, disappearances, and other stuff. And today I'm talking about the curious case and murder of 36-year-old Aileen Logan from Washington, D.C. A while back, I spoke to her family about her missing persons case, and I was planning to do an episode on her disappearance. But there was a dramatic turn of events. Within the last month, her missing persons case became a homicide. Aileen's family revealed to me that her remains had been found. I also discovered that the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, or NamUs, helped crack the case. I will get into all of that in the episode. I spoke to her family and police about the case. This is what happened. It was around 1.30 a.m. on September 15, 1999, at the 4400 block of South Capitol Street in Southwest D.C., According to reports, Aileen, a mother of two boys at the time, couldn't be reached by her family. After multiple phone calls with no response, family members had the apartment manager do a wellness check inside of Aileen's home. That's where they found one of her children, an infant, still strapped in his car seat on the bed. He had been there for hours, but there was no sign of Aileen. She had vanished, and that's when the 18-year-old mystery began. I spoke to her nephew, Henderson Long, about what happened to his family after that night. Henderson Long, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. I know we've had a couple of interviews in the past you know, month and a half or so, and it's like as we've gone through these processes and these interviews, the, the whole dynamic of your story has changed about your aunt Aileen. At first, she was a missing persons case, but now that is no longer the case. Tell me what happened. She went missing under suspicious circumstances. Um, first responders arrived. My family members arrived at her apartment after um, several unsuccessful attempts to contact her. When they got to the apartment, her son, uh, was an infant at the time, was still you know, strapped into his car, little car seat that you carry a baby carrier. He was strapped into that, and his pampers were wet like he had been there for a while. He was crying. But he was there in the apartment alone. And since uh, that day, September 15, 1999, no one had seen Aileen or heard from her since that day, that point on. According to family members, it looked like a struggle had taken place inside of Aileen's apartment. Some suspected that one of her neighbors, allegedly known as a drug dealer, may have had something to do with the disappearance. That's because he was murdered just hours before Aileen disappeared. And she may have been a witness to his murder. Another interesting detail is that some thought Aileen was an FBI informant, but that rumor was never confirmed. At the time, Aileen was 36 years old, right? 36. Mm -hmm. What what do you guys believe happened to her at that point? Well, our primary theory is that a homicide took place across the hall from Aileen. We were certain that Aileen knew something. We didn't know exactly what she knew, but we knew she knew something. And Aileen had talked to detectives from um, the Metropolitan Police Department that same day, September the 15th, 1999. And after that day, nobody saw her again. 
That's the same day she went missing. So basically, on this particular day, September 15th, 1999, she had an encounter with police regarding something that she had seen, some sort of crime or something in the community that she was living in? A homicide right across the hall from her had taken place. Aileen and the guy across the hall knew each other. Guy across the hall was a drug dealer, okay? They knew each other. We know, we're almost certain that Aileen saw something or she knew something. It's just too many things that lead us to believe um, that this is associated. It's just almost like common sense. You know, the day you talk to detectives, the same day you turn up missing. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. else really yeah. had, had a lot had it out for Aileen or really would want to do harm to her, you know, that we know of anyway. As far as witnesses in the neighborhood at that time, did you guys ever get any indication of people who saw anything, saw her with anyone that particular day, aside from the police or any of that? I heard chitter chatter. When I say chitter chatter, the streets was talking to me, telling me that Aileen was seen uh, taken out of the building forcefully by two men. But nobody could give me a physical description. Nobody could give me a time of day. No, None of that. So that really was a dead end. Um, that one theory that she was forced out of her apartment I think that Aileen was was enticed to come out under one pretense, like, you know, um, I got some weed for you, Aileen, or I got this for you, I got that for you, just to get her to step out of the apartment or to step out of the building. I don't think she intended on leaving for a long time. I think once they got Aileen in a vulnerable position, that's when they took advantage of her. That's when they pretty much abducted her, because had they tried to take Aileen out of her apartment, just take her out of there, it would have been a fight. People would have heard something. It would have been a big ruckus because Aileen was a fighter. She was petite, but you'd have heard something. People would have heard something. People would have heard her kicking and screaming and fighting. So we don't think that they took her out that way or maybe they incapacitated her or something to get her out of there. But they didn't walk her out of there. I know that for sure. She didn't walk out of there. They didn't force her out of there, walking her out of there. She wouldn't have left her baby alone either. Absolutely not. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. She wouldn't have did that. That's something that we're certain of. And we were right. You know, we knew all along that Aileen pretty much was a, a homicide. We, we, you, you always still want to hope for the best. You always still want to hope that maybe, you know, she was in some type of witness protection program and through, by the work she was doing, maybe they had to take her and, and, and move her away and give her a new identity. You think all kinds of stuff. And this is what my family was thinking. And they were kind of in limbo. They were kind of like in actual purgatory, meaning they, you know, she wasn't dead, but we didn't know whether she was alive. So we, they were stuck there for years. Aileen was spotted and seen by her family with people we know who were working for the FBI. And the FBI was called in because there were so many homicides that the police department couldn't keep up. So Aileen was spotted, you know, socializing, talking with a person we know is affiliated with the FBI. So that's kind of like official but unofficial, the FBI side of it, as far mm-hmm. as her involvement of being an informant. Now, Aileen had, I believe, testified against drug, few drug dealers prior to all this stuff happening. So that's something that I, that is true. She did wow. testify against several other drug dealers in the in the 
uh, D.C. area. Mm-hmm. Are, are you guys concerned about family safety at this point? Or are you just kind of focused on making sure that she's, you know, put to rest properly? Well, with both, we're concerned always for family safety is priority. We know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, sometimes, you know, you, you can be a betting person. But the people who did this to Aileen, you know, Chandra, I think they did. It was just such a vicious cycle. I think they may they may even be dead or incarcerated. We ne- you never can be comfortable as far as your safety, but you know we always concerned about safety. But I'm gonna press the envelope with this. I'm gonna keep on working every lead that I can work until I can feel that this case is satisfactorily closed. Until I. Mm-hmm. Look at everything and, and to overturn every rock, every stone, because it's witnesses and it's people out there. It's people with information. And social media is my best friend. Social media, mm-hmm. people hit you in the inbox. Yeah, I remember your aunt. I lived across the hall from her. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, you really? You did? You know, police assume... And they're corrected to a certain degree that most of the witnesses moved away, blah, blah, blah. Because this is 18 years ago. But God is good. And you, people will surface. Witnesses mm-hmm. will come forward. Criminals will commit crimes. And God will bring you the witnesses. God will bring you the information. Long says there was a major spike in drug-related murders in the 10-year span between 1989 and 99. Based on our previous conversations, you were telling me that at that time frame in 1999, there was a big drug wave happening in D.C. at that time and the culture, the drug culture at the time. So you said there were a lot of murders and things like that happening that were drug related, right? Yes, ma'am. Um, we had approximately 4,500 homicides in D.C. I know I'm close. It's around in there somewhere. We, between those, and within those 10 years, we had a lot of homicides. Drug dealers were making it known they were laying their murder game down and they was letting people know if you owe me some money or you do something wrong to me you you know they everybody was trying to you know be known as the ruthless as the worst as the baddest at that time last year the family turned their dna into the NamUs system in hopes of finding a match then in january the dna results were in and the family was told with 100% certainty that the remains that had been listed as Jane Doe for more than 18 years were Aileen. The remarkable discovery became a blessing and a devastating blow to the family all at the same time. Recently, there's been some new developments in Aileen's case. So she was a missing person. And then you guys discovered through uh, the family turning in some DNA into the NamUs system that her remains were actually recovered. When were her remains recovered? Her remains were recovered in 2000. She was a Jane Doe from 2000. I found out in 2018 that they had had a match, but we wanted to make sure. So actually the answer to the question was 2000 was when her remains were recovered. And she was Jane Doe from 2000 to 2018. Wow. So for 18 years, just so I'm clear, Aileen was a Jane Doe. Her remains were sitting in the in a coroner's office or wherever they store remains. And the family is sitting in limbo, not knowing where she is. And then you guys get a DNA hit. Wow. Absolutely. And, and my first conclusion was 
it was a colossal failure on um, the government because we're not educating families enough about this. This is so important to know. NAMIS is a database that's open to everybody. I can put my DNA in there. I can put all my information in there. And this actually linked up to CODIS. CODIS is the law enforcement side. That's the FBI's that law enforcement only can go in, in the DNA into CODIS. But NAMIS and CODIS are linked up. Families can go right to NAMIS at NAMIS.gov and they can enter their own DNA in there. But if they don't know, people are not being educated. My family had no clue. They ain't know nothing about DNA and law enforcement, the public officers, they dropped the ball because they never came and insisted it. Hey, y'all need to get y'all DNA into the database. Can we get that? Not once. So wow. basically I came and, and started, you know, asking my aunt and please let's open this up because it was itching at me. And once I got involved, that's when I persuaded them to go and press the envelope with the police department to enter that data, the DNA mm. data. And that's wow. how it all started, you know, as far as DNA. It's, it's amazing to me to even stop and think about the reality. Now, let me ask you this. At what point did you guys turn your DNA in? Was it in 2018 or was it before that? I believe it was 2018. So at that point, your family's DNA is entered into NamUs, and then it, it scans and it, it runs through, and you guys get a hit. How do you find out that there is a match? And what happens in the minds of your family and you when you find out there was a match after 18 years of her just being a Jane Doe? In 2018, we pressed the envelope for them to go and put that information in. My family said, okay, we're ready to start looking at this. You can have our DNA. Her sisters went and they gave it to him. And then they got the hit. When they got the hit, the hit came back with just those two. My, her sisters, when that hit came back, they requested that the sons submit their DNA to really make sure that this was a solid match. As far as how we feel, how they felt, well, you feel let down. You feel like what if? You all these what ifs run through your mind. This was agony to. Aileen's mother. She was terminally ill, you know, and this was probably speeding up her illness. It probably was speeding up her death because, you know, she actually passed and never knowing what happened to Aileen. Never knowing. So, talking about this, it just dug into a wound that was so deep and so painful. Um, just talking about it. The family just felt um, they felt let down by law enforcement. They'd be beating themselves up because, you know, they wish they had a sooner and did this. You beat yourself up, you know, um, and then, you know, you, you, you just feel bad about the whole incident, period. It's just horrible. I, I can't even put this into words. I can tell you that we know how painful it is for somebody to take a knife and literally stick it in our arm all the way down to the bone and just rip us. Mm. And then never let it heal for 18 years. It was very, very tough. I mean, I, it's beyond, I can't even say the word tough because it was worse than that for my family when we found out that, you know, Aileen had been Jane Doe for so long, all this time. All this time a Jane Doe. And when it comes to the investigation at this point, what are the police saying to you? 
Well, they they saying the same thing I've been saying to you that they sorry while lost. You know, um, um, they told us about the match. Uh, they explained a little bit about mitochondrial DNA and you know that they were sure that it was her and you know they could tell tell us exactly where she was. They could tell us what they what their presumption was about how she died, but they didn't have enough to rule this a homicide. You know they didn't have enough. The body, I mean, the remains were just remains. So if there were ligature marks, perhaps, or things of that nature that would lead one to believe a homicide occurred, a gunshot wound. But when it's just remains there, and none of that is speaking to you, none of those type of trauma to the body is there, then they can't say it's a homicide. It's got to say it's undetermined. So they're saying that they can't determine her cause of death? They, they can presume what happened based on where she was, but they can't say with medical certainty. The medical examiner is the man. He tell you and examine the body and tell you that the body is speaking to us, telling us this. But none of that was was available, meaning he didn't have a gunshot wound. He didn't have blunt force trauma mm-hmm. to the head. He didn't have broken bones. or All he had was a set of remains there. That's all he had. Wow. Let me ask you this. Were you surprised at, I know you can't tell me where she was found, but are you surprised at where she was found? Not at all. Not at all. I wasn't surprised at all because I didn't seen a lot over the last couple of years. I didn't seen quite a few things. And um, you got some slick individuals out here. That's all I'm going to say to you. Very um, predatory in nature. And, you know, um, you know what they do, Chandra. They, they, this is what they were doing at the time. They was killing people. They were professional killers. And unfortunately, my aunt got, you know, somehow got caught up in that, um, that whole web of violent culture at the time. And it was so mm-hmm. unfortunate. Um, she was loved by so many people. Great mother, very protective over her kids. Um, beautiful person, a beautiful woman, you know. And from what the, the people, because I really didn't know Aileen. I'm going off of the family. I'm going off of people in the community, the street, and mm-hmm. everything I heard about her, she always had her kids with her. She had them on her hip, and she'd be walking. She had them with her, so she loved her kids. Can you answer this question? Can you tell me how far away from her home was she found? Not even a mile and a half. Oh, man. Not even a mile and a half. If it's that tops, I can walk. It's a good little walk. That's a little walk, yeah, but I can walk. That's how... Sandra, that's how close it is. If it mm. was a mile, if it was even a mile, I don't even give it a mile. Half a mile. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. I reached out to the Metropolitan Police Department about the case, and I was told it's now being investigated as a homicide. No charges have been filed in the case, and no suspect has been named. Police also say they're continuing to investigate and follow up on leads and tips in the case adding that all cases are treated equally regardless of age, race, gender, and time of year. Right now, there are 35 open cases of missing black people in D.C. As for the number of black murder victims, they had 160 in 2018, and 106 of those cases are closed. As for 2019, so far they're looking at 20 cases, and two of those cases are closed. I had to ask what the family planned to do next, and the answer was simple. 
Well, um, we're waiting to see how um, the detectives, whether they're going to actually close the case or not. Uh, on the law enforcement side, whether they're going to close it or not. I know on the private end, we're going to work every end of it. We're going to continue to. I don't have nothing to lose. You know, whatever little bit of money I have, I'm going to use that towards investigating this case and mm-hmm. keep digging up stuff. But as far as we're just waiting on law enforcement to tell us what are, what y'all, are y'all going to close it as is, undetermined, and not look into it any further, or are they going to go move forward with it, you know, to try to investigate to figure out what happened to her? Long says Aileen's two sons are doing okay, and now they have some answers about what happened to their mother. They, you know, they didn't know her. But, you know, when we get older, we look at things differently. We value things different. So I'm doing, we're, the whole family doing this for them for when they get older. Now they'll have some answers. They mm-hmm. can give their mother a, a memorial service, recognize her, and, and understand she's passed on to not be in limbo. I'm wondering, you know, once you go through this entire process, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned and that you want people to understand for themselves moving forward? Well, um, my, my as, a, as an advocate, I would want people to know about the NAMIS website, which is uh, uh, NAMUS.gov. At any time when you have a missing person, I always urge the community to take their own case seriously if you have a missing loved one. Report it to law enforcement and get in contact with NAMIS immediately, especially if you think it's foul play involved. Because, you know, a lot of the times, you know, the technology saved the day. The technology will help bring a lot of these people closure. So that's what I would say as an advocate, but as a as a protector, as a family member. I would say to families, know your loved one's patterns and, you know, um, um, try to avoid certain circles of people, you know. Um, you know, if you if you have a problem or like maybe a drug problem or whatever, I urge people to get help. You know, mm-hmm. wherever it's drugs, you know, it's going to be guns and it's going to be death. Women, be careful, especially women who live alone, single women. You know, it's just some violent people out here that, that they'll come into your home and they hurt your family. So I just tell people to be vigilant in their community. Look out for each other. You know, um, if you see something, drop a letter in the mailbox. You got to come forward, but give that detective that information so he can go ahead and move forward and have some idea of what happened and where you Mm -hmm. need to go. Because if they kill once, they'll kill again. We're Mm -hmm. never safe. We're never safe. Do you have any final thoughts um, regarding whatever the message is that you want people to take away from your story? Um, I just don't want people to know that missing persons cases are, are, are serious, that these photos that you see are more than just photos, people's photos on a piece of paper. These are human lives that that loved ones are searching. And I just want to encourage the community to get involved with all efforts and anybody who's working in this arena. Um, you know, it's going to touch everybody's family sooner or later, indirectly or directly. And that would be my final thought, you know, is that we all in this together. Everybody's in it together. All right, Henderson Long, thank you very much for talking with me. And yeah, you know, it's it's like I was saying before, it's interesting how we, you know, we're having this conversation, these conversations before about Aileen's case, and then all of a sudden, you know, the developments, everything changes. And so, 
you know, the missing persons case turns into, you know, a homicide case. And, and just to find out the details about what happened is just really, wow, it's really striking to me. And, you know, it could be something, like you said, as simple as turning your DNA in, especially when you have a missing loved one. And it, it could, you know, that could have saved you guys years of agony. Well, I appreciate you highlighting this case because Aileen was disenfranchised from the beginning. You know, she was, you know, she had fell on hard times. She, you know, started maybe using drugs and she got into that life. And, you know, I'm certain investigators really didn't look at this like they wouldn't look at other cases, maybe, you know. And at that time in 99, we weren't where we are now with missing persons. We've came a long mm -hmm. way across the country. Mm -hmm. So. Just doing what you're doing is really helping families. It's helping the deceased. It's helping the missing. So just keep up. Keep doing what you're doing, too. I certainly will. And thank you very much for talking with me about your aunt, Aileen Logan. She is no longer a missing person, but she is a victim. And I think that it is important for her story to be shared because, you know, the whole idea of how you guys found out, you know, about what happened with her just based on essentially turning in your DNA into the name system, that's really important. And I hope that I hope that people take that forward and that they understand the importance of submitting that DNA, like you said, especially when you have a missing loved one out there. So thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you, too. When it comes to my final thoughts about this case, I think it's a tragedy that the family had to endure 18 years of not knowing where their loved one was. And for Aileen's mother, it's worse because she died and never knew what happened to her daughter. I'm told it's also possible that she may have died from a broken heart. I'm thinking it's never too late to turn in your DNA, especially if you have a missing or murdered loved one, because one hit from the NamUs system can change everything. And this story is an example of what can happen if you do. Another thing is I checked out the NamUs website, and it says that over 600,000 people go missing in the U.S. every single year. Aside from that, more than 4,400 unidentified bodies are recovered every year, and over 1,000 stay unidentified and unclaimed after a year. And that's something to think about. I have to say, it was interesting to get some insight from Henderson Long about the drug culture of D.C. in the 1990s and how it could have been a factor in why Aileen lost her life as a possible informant. At the end of the day, I think the main message here is to never give up and to fight until you get answers. Aileen was laid to rest earlier this month in a private service held by her family and friends, and I want to thank Mr. Long for speaking on behalf of his family. If you have any information about the death of Aileen Long, reach out to the Metropolitan Police Department or her family. If you have any cases or disappearances you want me to cover, just message me on the Intrigued Full Effect website or via email at intriguedfulleffect at hotmail.com. Until next time, be safe and stay true. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Intrigued Full Effect, Curious Cases, Disappearances, and Other Stuff podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the host. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. 
The host of this podcast assumes no liability or responsibility for any activities in connections with opinions shared in the podcast. The podcast and blog associated with it shall not be used in any legal capacity or as a basis for expert testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. This podcast uses copyrighted materials that were fully authorized by the owner. Music by Pond5